Hello and welcome to The Advice Show, a podcast that will bring you UK and global insights into the financial planning profession. My name is James Fitzgerald, reporter at New Model Advisor. Today, I'm speaking with Director of Content at NextGen Planners and former PFS President, Adam Owen. Adam, hello to you and thanks for joining me. Hi, James. Good to see you. So the topic we're going to discuss today is exams. Uh, And over the past 14 months or so, people wanting to start a career as financial planners or in financial services, and indeed financial planners who want to sit exams for further qualifications, have endured somewhat of a rocky road as they've had to move to remote learning and exams or had to deal with social distancing measures in exam halls when they were allowed in summer last year. Now, the professional bodies who organise these exams, namely the CISI and the CII, have had mixed approaches and even more mixed results when organising and executing these exams since we all went into lockdown one last March. I personally have spoken with students who have passed their CII exams but did have some issues. These issues occurred both last year and early this year um, and in some cases don't seem to be getting fixed. So, Adam... I suppose if we can start to unpack your experiences, both as a former PFS president and as a senior member of NextGen, how have you seen the last year or so of exam sittings? I mean, what's worked, what hasn't, and what has the student feedback been? I think, James, it's a big question. And when we think about what everyone's been through, it goes without saying that it has been exceptional. And what we've seen is a great deal of adaptability We've seen people actually with a real willingness to take the steps that are needed to adapt and to put in place solutions that are, you know, in many ways were brought forward or were um, at least temporary to some Mm. degree. And that in itself has been quite a challenge for organisations, for students, for companies like NextGen Planners and and, the way that we deal with things. But particularly, a lot of it has fallen on the shoulders of the professional bodies. And it's times like this that really we turn to our professional bodies to lead the way and to show leadership within the profession. And I think we can probably break the last 14 months or so down into three parts, really. I think the initial reaction of the professional body was very good at the CII. You know, they recognised that there was a challenge. They made a decision. It was a hard decision to make. And they implemented that decision at a time when there was so much else changing in the business. So that first stage to actually move a great number of the exams remote takes a lot of courage to make a decision like that. You know, when you think about it, whatever the end result, then the decision itself is done without a great deal of information. You know, when you look back February, March last year, none of us had very much information at all. And we were operating on what little information the government were giving us. We weren't quite sure whether we were in lockdown, out of lockdown, we could go Mm. to work, we could stay at home. You know, there was so much uncertainty that to make any decision was probably the hardest thing. And it was courageous to do so. But then once phase one is over and once you've made the decision and once you've started to implement, then it's then all about managing the process and remembering that at the heart of any process, particularly taking exams, there are you know, real human beings with emotions and stresses and they're going through a whole heap of other things as well. Um, but it's about all sides remembering that, of course, because the people who are trying to implement are doing so with 
COVID stresses and all the other stresses of life. So I think it has been really challenging in that second phase, but I think we're now out into a third phase of things. And for me, we really should be moving towards and expecting business as usual. And I'm not sure that we're there yet. And you know, that I think we are seeing on the ground as well. In terms of business as usual, do you mean back to well, somewhat normality with you know in-person exams and you know, as we were you know, pre-March last year? I think not actually. I think it's about you know, and it's a horrible phrase, not one that I particularly like rolling out, but it's about the new normal mm. and having implemented. You know, when we think about the Chartered Insurance Institute, the CII had a plan to around about now, in actual fact, summer this year, to implement and launch remote exam sittings. It's been something that has been piloted around the world. And so the CII knew that you know, this was part of their process and part of their strategy. So as we reach the point at which it would have been rolled out anyway, I think it's probably reasonable to expect candidates to expect it to be working smoothly now. So I think business as usual for me is that you know, remote exam sittings and in-person exam sittings are all running smoothly because ultimately when we think about our professional bodies, a professional body's job is to, you know, to lead the profession, to build public trust, but fundamentally to deliver on the qualification standard that sets all of those professional standards. And so at this stage, this is what I would refer to as a sort of a third phase and that business as usual. I think it's a lot of the tension that has occurred is because candidates are beginning to expect business as usual. You know, if an organisation has been running a process for over a year, you'd hope that most of the kinks have been ironed out by now. And that is the frustration from the students I've spoken to too. I mean, you know, there's only uh, a lot of them been you know internet and you know Wi-Fi broadband issues. Others been um, you know a lack of organisation on the professional body's part, and it just especially when students are doing multiple exams, a la some last year and then some this year again, and the same problems are arising. It, it is quite frustrating, especially during a, you know, a very stressful time, of course. You know, with your with your former PFS hat on, you know, how should the CIA approach um, moving to the new normal with remote exams? You know, they, if that is going to be the new normal moving forward, they have to get it right. I think that's exactly it. You know, there are certain things that we just expect to be to be okay. We expect our professional bodies to be able to deliver exams, and it's sort of an absolute for a professional body to do that for all professional bodies to do that across all disciplines we're not just talking about financial services and financial planning and so you know that has to be something that is absolutely got right and so you know it's right that students should be calling on their professional body and members should be expecting their professional body because there's a lot of employers who are waiting on their employees to achieve these qualifications and so it's for everybody's benefit and that of the consumer in particular that the professional body you know, allows people to take the exams at the time at which they would expect to take them within reason and making sure everybody is safe as course but mm. you know now that we have this remote ability to take exams and there are huge numbers of exams happening you know that's one thing that we should absolutely state that you know it's always a danger that we don't acknowledge the great work that has been done but in doing so sometimes as well on the flip side, you can over-acknowledge the great work that's being done, and then you can miss out the nuance. You know, if you have 600 people in a month that have a you know a challenge with a particular exam, but you've actually had thousands of people sit exams, and that might feel okay as a percentage of failure rate or error rate. 
But of course, that's 600 people who are absolutely in you know, key moments of their careers. And that brings with it stress and tension and worry. And it brings, in particular, you know, a real feeling of undermining the professional body. You know, for some people, their experiences of interaction with their professional body start when they sit that very first exam. Many people, that's R01. And so if your first experience of your professional body is one that isn't competent, then how does that set the tone for the rest of your professional career? And we're not just talking about people who are leaving education to start another pathway of education in a new job. We're talking about setting careerists as well and people who have been in other professions, who've had experience of other professions. And so they will be judging the delivery of our professional qualifications from a completely different context. And so we can look at relativity and we can consider that actually it's not so bad in actual percentage terms, but each individual is another individual who just loses a little more confidence every time something like this doesn't work. Well, it's obvious that we need, and people have been saying this for years and years, that we you know, do need more young people and more graduates and um you're saying that you know, a poor exam experience may dissuade people from actually you know, taking that next step if it, you know, their exam doesn't go as planned or as expected? You know, it sounds a little dramatic, doesn't it? But actually, yes, I've seen that happen over the last 12 months. I've seen people who are into their second or third exam and they've had two successive bad experiences and they stopped. Now, you know, they've stopped in the short term to maybe pick them up once COVID is over and once we go mm. back to uh, you know, in-person qualification sitting. But that's a really big gap. You know, if you think that people are actually missing then months and you know, now into over a year of their potential of getting exams, then you know, do you ever actually go back to it? Some people won't. You know, we will lose some people from that exam pathway. And that's a shame because those individuals could have made a real difference to, to clients and to people who might not otherwise have received financial advice. So although the numbers are relatively small when you consider tens of thousands of people in the profession and the number of exams that are being sat, I think that each individual story is, again, just another, um, you know, another person lost to our profession, potentially. And you know, even without that, we want a strong set of professional bodies, you know, whichever professional body it is. We want to feel proud of our professional bodies and we want as a profession to feel proud of being members of the profession. And so, you know, there are some things that we just have to get right. And that would be one of them. Now on to next gen, and you know, this does come into exams as well, of course. Um, last year, next gen um, you know, member students got a 95% pass rate. Um, I believe it was uh, around September last year in the CII exams, or that batch. Uh, and that, that's compared to 60% for the other students who took the same exam in that period. How important was, you know, and is next gen support network to help members and students study and pass these exams um, during what has been a, you know, unprecedented and tumultuous last 12, 14 months? Well, James, of course, um, part of me wants to say it's incredibly important. We are vital to the exam success and without us, then none of that would happen. But the reality, of course, is that, uh, you know, it is always and it's really important to state that people pass exams because of what they do, not because of what I and the team at NextGen do. What we have hit on is a methodology 
that helps people to you know, to follow a process and gets really good results if they follow that process. And this is one of the things that unlocking the ability to understand the content within each syllabus is half of the battle. You know, people sit these exams all the time and you know they as we said as you just said the national pass rate on average is something like 60% of the exam sat that's not 60% first time pass that's just of all exam sat so some mm. people will sit them two three or maybe even four times and it doesn't have to be that way if you have a, a a clear method and a process and i'm not saying that, that our process is the only process there are some great organizations and there are some great individuals who work their own plan but it's about having a process and one of the the big things that we help with is personal accountability you know, we provide a structure that keeps people going and we create you know metronomic habits so that you know people are always moving forward and I think that's one of the, the key wins that we've found. And as we've gone through the last 12 months, we found that actually more people have passed more exams than ever before. You know, we're up to 180 in the last 12 months exam passes. And with each new batch and new exam sitting, we're finding that actually people are getting better. They're understanding the content more and they're actually being able to, to work through. And it's not a case of training to an exam. It's a case of understanding the content and giving people the skills because you know particularly when we look at the the core exams the the level four then these are a level standard exams and we're asking people or the examiners are asking people to apply critical thinking so although many of them are multiple choice it's not simply a case of you can read a textbook and then turn up and the answer will suddenly appear out of the blue i always liken it a little to that film the matrix with Keanu Reeves. I don't know if you've ever seen The Matrix, James. I but, have, I have. You know, Neo, the one, can see the world in binary code. And you know that is a metaphor that we use. That's what we aim for, is that if you can see through the code that is being used on the page with the exam question and use that core knowledge that you have, then it ceases to be a, you know, a recognition game and it actually is then a critical thinking game. And that is I think what makes a difference. So we've developed a number of different techniques that help people stay on track with that. And we can, you know, we have a predictable and repeatable process that you know, we find for most people, we adapt it around individuals, of course, so it's not the same for everybody, but for most people, we can adapt it well enough that they go into each exam sitting feeling confident. And by the way, The Matrix was an excellent late 90s, uh, early 2000s reference, which I 100% got, so I appreciate that. Uh, in terms of you know, next-gen, you guys had to adapt as well in terms of your support programs. How did, uh, how did you guys found, find last year? You know, was the move to an online you know, and re or remote um, training and learning a bit of a shock? Was it well-organised and implemented? How did you go about it? You know, I'm going to say it was well-organised and well-implemented. And in fairness... Of course I would. What else am I going to say? No, it was complete chaos, James, and we were charging around and didn't know what was going on. It was interesting, though. It was an interesting experience. I was described by the other, the rest of the team in next year as being quite, quite bearish about COVID. And um, the thing that, that really tipped me to the point where I thought we are going to need to make significant changes was it was either late December or early January last year when I read a news article from Hong Kong saying that um, there had been an armed robbery of a toilet roll warehouse. 
and you don't hear of too many armed robberies of toilet roll warehouses and i was sat there thinking this sounds to me like it's going to be a little different mm. so we started putting the planning in place to move everything remote at that point because you know it's far better to plan and to have everything ready and then not need it than it is to try and be doing it at the last minute so as soon as we heard about the armed robbery of toilet rolls that was the time really so we we organized I mean, the nice thing is we had been doing quite a lot online anyway so it wasn't like we needed to change the technology particularly but we we changed the organizational structures we changed the delivery and started designing these new processes to maintain accountability that personal accountability within the process one of which was to to move everything into a challenge event because you know this was a new thing that we introduced this year um, but to structure everything on either a 30 or a 60 day process so that people had something to aim for you know one of the things that you know in any situation like a lockdown or anywhere where people just lose direction you know you'll know yourself it's hard to get up in the morning if there isn't a purpose and so having daily deliverable content and switching things into that process where there was always something to do nothing huge but something to do every day just maintains momentum and we found that a lot of our students have really welcomed that momentum and that ability to just keep going back to the content uh, but doing little and often and that just helps with that process because some days you just don't feel like doing anything but if there's 10 minutes worth of something to do you might just get started for 10 minutes and then you might think well you know I'll, I'll carry on a bit longer it's a little i'm told like people who, who do regular exercise of course i'm only told this james you know me quite well but you know it's a little like that that if you get out there and you start a run then chances are you're going to carry on whereas mm. if like me you never actually start a run then you never go for a run and that's the analogy that i used you know i looked at my lack of exercise and thought how do i get people to mentally exercise with these exams and you know that technique of just something to start things going every day is really helpful so so we designed that part of the process and then it's been a case of making sure that people could could regularly get together and hold each other to account you know when we were in a situation pre-covid where everyone was meeting up regularly we were doing regular classroom sessions then it was quite easy for people to bond and form cohorts and actually become great friends across all of our different exam cohorts of course when everyone's isolated it was we needed to do something very quickly about that so we implemented weekly tutorial sessions sometimes just literally to get people together and have them working on questions together you know there wasn't any direct training content in there but it was just that touch point and the more and more that people work together the more that they worked for each other as well as with each other and that's been the biggest of all revelations over covid is just the way that people have stepped up and supported each other to the point at which we've we've reached now a stage where our cohorts are arranging group tutorials together without any input from you know the the group at next gen planets they you know they're arranging them on their own regularly because they've just bonded into these just amazing cohorts and obviously you have them so well trained you know i think a lot of that happened without my without my knowledge a lot of the times james actually i've got to say i was always delighted to find out that a group was getting together you say um, secret tutorial meetings it brings you right back to university absolutely <laughs> um now back to exams um quickly um last month 
uh, NextGen announced that uh, you partnered with the CISI to offer exam support uh, for your members. What was behind that move? It was demand more than anything. I think that you know, since the CISI launched their two-part level seven um, qualification, then there's been a lot of interest, but there hasn't been a great deal of support in the marketplace. There's not that many organizations that support the level six exam. There's a great program from Steve Martin uh, that looks at the level seven case study, but the level six exam was relatively underserved. So we, we thought actually this was a great way of giving something back to our members and to create uh, again another challenge to really help them with the content. So we piloted a different exam early in the year, we piloted the CII's J07 exam, the supervision exam, on a 30-day challenge basis. Simply 30 days of content in the run-up to the exam. Could somebody pass a, you know, a written paper, two-hour written paper, with 30 days of input? And the answer was a resounding yes. And so we know that the, the content that we can create, again, really focused and helping people to really understand the key topics and the key areas that they need, then we know that that can give people a real boost in success rates. So then it was just a case of, okay, let's look at this CISI level six syllabus and see what it is that we need to do to create something there. And so the the 60 day process was born on that one. So that one's a 60 day challenge because it is just more complex content. Hmm. But that again will provide daily content to keep people on track, to help them with accountability and to ensure that you know, even on those days where they don't feel like doing something, that they do. Because you know, the way that we process information, particularly when we're learning, and particularly as we're getting older, is, is not as we think it is in the main. You know, most people think they can sit for six hours and study and they'll remember a whole heap of it. But we process information overnight when we sleep. And so, you know, think of your brain like a computer. You've only got so much conscious processing power. So once you've filled that RAM, then you've got to then transfer it somewhere else. It goes into that long-term memory. And you know, if we're trying to cram so much in, we're not depositing it in long-term memory. So small bursts every day really just do help with retention. And one of the things that I've realized over the years, because I've made loads of mistakes personally when I've been studying, but I see people making the same mistakes time and time again. You know, when you think about textbooks, you can always tell what type of learner somebody is from their textbooks, because you know, some people like to color in. They become like adult coloring books. There are multiple colors of you know, pastel shades, fluorescent shades, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. But if we are going and going through that process of highlighting, we're probably not actually absorbing a great deal of information because your, your conscious mind um, switches off. It says, well, I'm going to come back to this later. Anything that you tell your brain that you're going to come back to later, your brain doesn't need to really focus on. Likewise, if we're making notes, you know, you'll see a lot of people taking the textbook and they'll write notes out. They'll write meticulous notes out. Somebody um, told me that he had 9,000 words of notes from a textbook the other day, and I was really pleased for him that he got through 9,000 words. But I was wondering how many of those words does he remember? Because as you're writing them out, you're not needing to remember them in that moment because you're telling your brain these are to learn later. And so you know, what happens is there's a lot of repetition. And so people spend a lot of hours studying, but whether or not they spend their study time efficiently is different. And I'd much rather 
people spent more time in the garden or with family or going out and enjoying themselves and less time studying but what they did when they studied was really efficient and that's really what we've been aiming for all this time is to try and create super efficiencies so this will be our first CISI qualification that we're supporting um, but it's you know it's a process that is free to next gen planners members and so anyone who's a member of next gen planners community can access that it starts on the 1st of July and you know there'll be a lot of other live tutorial support and you know the people coming in who have experienced the exam so they'll be in there offering mentorship and other hints and tips so we're just going to make it a really as much as it can be enjoyable experience to sit an exam and once people have gone past that then they will in the in the new year be able to come back and continue to study with us if they wish um, we're hooking up with Steve Martin and we're going to put together a program for that level seven qualification as well so there's a lot in the pipeline that will really help people to you know, achieve that certified financial planner status subject to all the other caveats of becoming a certified financial planner such as the number of years in role etc no perfect sounds great and um, for all our listeners now there will be a link in the podcast article to the uh, support information on next gen so keep an eye out for that and adam finally Bringing younger people through exams is uh, critically important if the sector wants to narrow the advice gap. You know, we all know that, we've mentioned that before. So you know, in your opinion, how do you make financial services more attractive to graduates you know, who can then progress to exams and you know, intern financial planners? I think it's helping people understand the, the progression pathway. And this is something that we do a lot at next gen planners working in universities to really articulate what the progression pathway looks like but also to be really honest about the progression pathway as with all professions you know there are going to be a number of months where you're doing things that aren't cool and you know undergraduates need to really understand that if they're going to stick at a role and so understanding that there is a means to an end in certain things that we do and that we're not immediately going to be out seeing clients. In fact, it can take years before people are actually out seeing clients. But then really articulating the good that we do as a profession. You know, that's the one thing that I think we, we spend quite a lot of time articulating the value that we bring individually as financial planners to our individual clients. I think as a profession, we could do an awful lot more in terms of expressing the value that we bring to people generally and so that people understand that and particularly undergraduates understand that this is a job that makes a real difference to people's lives and through the stories that we where we have changed people's stars you know we can we can take people on one trajectory and help them to achieve something that they never thought possible and there aren't that many jobs that can do that and so you know we need to win hearts as well as minds when we're thinking about uh, attracting new talent to the profession very well said adam owen thanks for joining us james thank you